This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you have your Bibles already at hand, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. I want you to notice with me, I'm going to give you many scriptures this morning, but our text comes from this incredible prophetic passage. I want you to look carefully at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. The Bible says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This morning, I'm speaking on this subject, the importance of the virgin birth. I pray that you would allow God's word to minister to you today. During the Christmas season, I believe that we will listen to and perhaps sing many times over the most beloved Christmas carol of all times, Silent Night, many, many times. Perhaps you listen to it on the radio when you're driving down the road, or perhaps while you're doing chores in the house, you hum it, sing it, or you listen to it softly played in the background. We've all learned it as children, and we love it passionately. And I believe Silent Night has a very special part in our Christmas heritage and has been there for many, many years and all the way back to childhood. But Silent Night, to many people, is nothing more than a warm and cozy song. Silent Night is something that the majority of this world uses to put them in the Christmas spirit. For some, Silent Night is nothing more than a musical ornament that people think about when they look upon the tree. But I want you to know this morning that this song, Silent Night, reiterates one of the most important cardinal doctrines of the faith, that being the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you think upon those words, you have to really get the theology out of it. The songwriter was inspired to write, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round young virgin, mother and child. Now, I want you to think about this with me just for a moment because the virgin birth is indeed a cardinal doctrine of the Bible. There are several cardinal doctrines that I want to mention to you briefly. They're, they're incredibly important in your faith and your walk with the Lord. Cardinal doctrines, listen now, there are things that are made crystal clear and plain and they must be not partially accepted, but cardinal doctrines of the faith have to be in its totality accepted and believed. Now listen carefully. That meaning that there cannot be things that we're going to deny or partially believe in if we're going to be moved by the Spirit of God to be saved. You see, the Holy Spirit of God, and we're teaching this on Wednesday nights in the Bible study on Wednesday evenings. 
And some of you that have attended that class will remember some of this, but it's imperative for us to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the door of salvation to begin with. In John chapter 16, verse number 13, John said it this way, that the Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I want you to think about that. If we're not able to know the truth, then the Spirit of the living God does not abide in us. That's imperative to understand. A person cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides us in the truth, and the Holy Spirit helps us to accept the truth, and he shines the light on these incredible Bible doctrines that are imperative that we understand and in this process of salvation. For example, let me give you one while you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 22. Let me share with you a brief list of cardinal doctrines that every person has to accept and believe upon. While you're turning to 1 John chapter 2 verse number 22, let me remind you of a little place where Jesus had assembled as he was speaking to his disciples. It was a little place called Caesarea of Philippi. Now, when you hear Caesarea in the Bible, you have to understand that it not only means Caesarea. You have to find out exactly what, it, uh, what it's talking about because there was not only a place called Caesarea, but there was another place called Caesarea of Philippi. And on this particular location... Jesus had assembled his disciples together, and there Peter, Simon Peter, made the great confession. Jesus was preaching, and he looked into the eyes of Simon Peter, and he asked this question. He said, Peter, whom do men say that I am? Peter said, some are saying that you're Elijah, some saying that you're Jeremiah, John the Baptist. Jesus looked into his eyes, and he said, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And there in this little place called Caesarea of Philippi, Simon Peter looked into the eyes of Jesus and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now while you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 2, verse number 22, I want you to know that one of the cardinal doctrines of the faith is to accept the fact that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. You cannot be born again unless you believe that. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, the Bible says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? And so, listen carefully now. A person cannot be saved if they believe that Jesus Christ is equal to or less than Buddha, Muhammad, or Allah. It's impossible. You cannot be born again if you deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now listen to this. Another cardinal doctrine of the faith is the Genesis account of creation. And it's impossible to be born again without understanding, without believing in the Genesis. Because listen, the Genesis account of creation, it declares the omnipotence of God. That's, that's critical. 
When you stop and think about that, when you recognize the omnipotence of God, then you recognize the fact that there is nothing any greater than he. Nothing any great. No one else can give you redemption. No one else can save you. Nothing else can bring you eternal pardon. And so God's omnipotence is important. But the Genesis account of creation, most of us simply look upon it as, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But I will tell you, the Genesis account of creation is far more than that. The Genesis account of creation not only talks about the beginning of the heavens and the earth, but it also talks about the creation of man. How that God took the dust of the ground, he formed it in his likeness, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, making him a living soul. But it doesn't stop there. The Genesis account of creation not only declare that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and how God took the dust of the ground and made a man in his likeness and in an image, but the Genesis account of creation also declares the sinful fall of man. That's imperative. And because there was a sinful fall of man, God promised a Savior. And by the way, the first promise of a Savior in the Bible is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. A person cannot deny these things and be saved. Another important cardinal doctrine is this, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 22, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. It's imperative for us to understand this, that salvation does not come by good works. Salvation is not purchased with money. Salvation is not by keeping the law. Salvation doesn't come by obeying the Ten Commandments. Salvation comes by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And I will tell you, the Word says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And That's a cardinal doctrine. We have to accept it and believe it. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. It's impossible to be saved if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4. I want you to see something in verse number 12. You see, so many people in this world make up their own personal aspect of salvation and base all that personal theory on how they're going to see God and how they're going to enter into the celestial city. That's why there's so much confusion in the world today about faith. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 4, and for those that are watching today by internet or you this morning that are listening under the sound of my voice, it's imperative to understand this. And I say this all the time. The other day at the funeral where Sister Brenda and her family were gathered, I mentioned it then. When Sister Lucy passed away, I mentioned it at her funeral. Those of you that have loved ones that have passed and I've conducted those funerals, I have mentioned it in all of them. Jesus Christ is not the good way to heaven. He's not another way to heaven. He's not the alternate way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. And we have to understand that you say, Pastor, why can you be so narrow-minded with all the faiths and all the religions and all the churches of this world? How can you be so dogmatic and narrow it down to just one way and one person? First of all, Jesus declared it himself. 
He said, I am the way, not another way, not the best way, not a good way, not the alternate. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But this verse right here in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, look at it. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other way. And I will tell you this, friend, if you think that heaven is a multiple choice, that grace is multiple choice, if you think there's another way to heaven other than the Lord Jesus Christ of this book, you're lost and going to hell. Listen, there is no other way. There is no other name. You cannot be saved. Listen, unless you believe in the total depravity of man, that for all have sinned, every one of us, there is not a person in this auditorium or watching today that has ever been born into this world good. The truth of the matter is this, that every person that's ever been born, being born at this very moment or will be born if Jesus tarries his coming. Listen, every person living and breathing on this planet has been born into this world, lost hell, deserving sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. The Bible clearly talks about that. You cannot be saved this morning. Your faith is in vain if you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and notice with this, notice with me this particular verse in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. You say, preacher, you're sharing some things with me this morning that I'm not familiar with, that I'm not really up to date on. I pray that that is the case and that you are absorbing these scriptures. You're writing them down and that you'll go back and reread them again. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. The Bible says this, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is vain also. So you have to understand this. If Jesus was only crucified on the cross, had there not been a resurrection, every one of us would still be on our road to hell today. He had to die. He had to shed his blood. But you see, God had to bring him out of the grave. That's a cardinal doctrine of our faith. And likewise, it's important that we understand this morning that no one can be saved if we deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It is imperative to understand that. It is a cardinal doctrine of the faith. Several years ago, a leading commentator on one of the biggest news stations in America was asked this question. He was asked, if you could interview just one person in all of the world, who would that person be? Who would you like to interview? And if I were to mention his name, every person would know who he is. He said, if I could interview one person only, that person would be Jesus Christ. And the one interviewing this news commentator then asked, well, if you could interview Jesus Christ himself, what would you like to ask him? And this big name news commentator, he said, my question would be to Jesus Christ, were you indeed virgin born? He went on to say, because that answer that Jesus would give would define history. 
Well, my response to that is this, that if people like that and the doubters and the scoffers of this world would take time to open this Bible, they would find the answer to that. Was Jesus virgin born? According to the word of God, unequivocally states that he was. Now, there are four aspects I want to share with you this morning concerning the virgin birth that I'd like for you to consider. And I'd like for you to write them down, take some notes, because these are incredible truths that I'm going to share with you today. First of all, there is the world's shameful condemnation of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You see, many people in this world deny it. When you, when you stand on a sidewalk and you hear careless singing, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round, young virgin. Listen, they don't believe that. For many, it's just a song. People reject the virgin birth. In fact, there are many people today that call us, who call ourselves Christians, they call us fools for believing in and, and remotely thinking that it was possible. Listen, friend, there is no doctrine in all of the Bible that has been more ridiculed around the world than the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And it's sad and sickening, but I want you to know today that there are many theologians in leading seminaries in the United States of America who deny the virgin birth. That's sickening to a pastor. But I have a simple response to that ignorance, and that is this, denying the virgin birth of Jesus Christ actually creates more problems than it solves. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I'm saying this, that people who deny the virgin birth of Christ just simply can't wipe that statement off of their hands and press on. I'm telling you, there are eight immediate problems that comes out of that scenario that Jesus was not virgin born. Listen to this. If Jesus Christ, number one, if the virgin birth is not true, then the word of God is not reliable on any subject. Think with me. If the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is not true, then this book is not reliable on any subject. Secondly, if that is true, then Mary did not know who the father was and that creates another list of problems. Number three. If the virgin birth did not take place, then Jesus Christ lied about who his father was. If the virgin birth was not true, then Jesus is not the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Number five, if the virgin birth is not true, then Jesus Christ would have been an illegitimate child. Number six, if Jesus was not virgin born, if he was illegitimate, then he could not be the Messiah. Number seven, if Jesus is not the Messiah, then he himself would have needed a savior just like every other man or woman. And number eight, if the virgin birth is false, 
then we have no choice but to deny all of the other miracles recorded in the Bible. So a denial of the virgin birth creates an avalanche of more problems than it solves. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. It's imperative to understand it. Number two, another aspect of the virgin birth is the scriptural affirmation of his birth. You see, the Bible, the Holy Scripture, the Word of God declares it. Let me say this about the Bible that you hold in your hand this morning. Every ounce of our faith depends upon this book. All of it. We don't get our faith out of Time Magazine. We we don't subscribe to Sports Illustrated and be moved and inspired by God. That's not his word. Let me tell you this. The Bible, the Holy Scripture that you hold in your hand, this is the only source where we get our faith. I will tell you this. If any of it's wrong, then it's all wrong. This Bible cannot be halfway true. It's either all true or it's none of it's true. I'm telling you, if any of it's wrong, then we are wrong on everything. Everything depends upon the truth of this book. The virgin birth was a prophecy. If you still have your Bibles close to Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, I want you to read that scripture with me again. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, we're talking about the scriptural affirmation of the virgin birth. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, The virgin birth was a sign from the Lord himself. It was visible proof that God was capable of fulfilling his word. Here's what I want you to understand. 750 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was moved to write these words. 750 years before Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem, God, through the power, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, revealed us to the prophet. And 750 years after the prophecy was made, it was fulfilled. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and I want you to see this. In Matthew chapter 1, I want you to look with me, beginning in verse number 18. You say, Pastor, we're moving through several scriptures today. Absolutely. We're talking about one of the most important cardinal doctrines of the faith, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, the Bible says this. Now the birth of Jesus, now you have to understand, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave 750 years earlier than this. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That is the fulfillment, that is the scriptural affirmation of his birth. Number three, I want you to consider the supernatural aspect of it. The supernatural aspect of the virgin birth. The virgin birth was immaculate. It was miraculous. It was of another world. It had never happened before and it will never happen again. Something interesting about the virgin birth, if you're looking at Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14, and this, this might be interesting to you. I want you to notice the name that is given to Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, the Bible gives him the name Emmanuel. You've just read in Matthew chapter 1 that Emmanuel is interpreted God with us. Now here's the thing that might interest you. This name, Emmanuel, is only used three times in the entire Bible. Once in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament. This name, Emmanuel, is the least used name ascribed to Jesus in the entire Bible. Only three times you find it. Yet, listen, it's the first recorded name in the Bible given to him. Emmanuel. God with us. God wanted the world to know that he was with us. God wanted the world to know that Jesus was God and that he was the God-man. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The virgin birth was supernatural because Jesus was the earthly child of a heavenly father. Are you with me? He was the earthly child of a heavenly father. And he was the heavenly child of an earthly mother. Now listen to this. Adam was produced without a man or a woman. Eve was produced from a man without a woman. You and I are produced with the combination of a man and a woman. But only Jesus came forth from a woman without an earthly man. The virgin birth is supernatural because God himself was the father. God allowed the Holy Spirit to place him in the womb of a woman and she brought forth her firstborn son. 
Now, the reason, why did God do this? Why did God allow this? I want to share with you number four, and I want to close with it. And we're going to see this morning the spiritual revelation of the virgin birth. The spiritual revelation. The reason why God allowed such an incredible event to take place to begin with. Why did God have to come and dwell with a man? Why did God have to come and dwell with people in flesh on this earth? Well, if you have your Bible still near Matthew chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 21. We've already read it, but I want you to reread it again with this focus of the spiritual revelation. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And here's the reason. God sent Jesus to this world in a body of flesh for this purpose right here. For he shall save his people from their sin. I tell you this morning, my brothers and sisters, that because of sin and because God is holy, God had to punish sin. He had to deal with it. And the only sacrifice that God would accept as payment for that sin was the blood sacrifice. And it could not have been just any blood. For years and years In the Old Testament era, people would offer the blood sacrifices of goats and bulls and so forth. But you see, God, when it came to the sinful flesh and the sinful punishment of man, God could not accept that repetitive sacrifice of bulls and goats from one year to the next on the Day of Atonement. God could not accept that. You see, the blood that God required To offer as payment for the sin of the entire human race, it had to be spotless blood. It had to be holy blood, healing blood, wonder-working blood. It had to be spotless blood, atoning blood. It had to be righteous blood, redeeming blood, royal blood. It had to be the Father's blood. No other blood could have made the pardon. And the only one qualified to deliver that kind of blood was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the reason he did not have a problem producing that kind of blood was because he was indeed virgin born. It was the Father's blood. And as we come to the close of this thought today and we are going to hear a lot of songs at Christmas time and Our hearts will be moved to the manger scene. We think about all these shepherds and the wise men and the angels. Let me tell you this. As you think about that silent night, holy night, the truth about the virgin birth will really do you no good unless you have Jesus Christ in your heart. This is my prayer that during this Christmas season that we'll all understand the most important truth of the Christmas story and that is unto us is born a Savior. You see, what this world fails to realize is this, that if you reject the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, it has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. You see, if you reject it, you will never be saved. If you accept it, you can be born again. 
The next time you stand and sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright, round, young virgin, mother and child. Try to understand that what you're singing is a testimonial of one of the most important doctrines of our faith. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.